what we just have to call Thomas Grant's erotica. Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. You don't so much listen to this intro as you drink it in. It's a good way to describe it. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate Dealer. Today, we are in Hour 3 of the program. Uh, Thomas Drance, then Roberto Luongo. What a dynamic duo in Hour 3. Hour 3 is brought to you by Campbell and Pound. Another dynamic duo, Campbell and Pound. Uh, Campbell and Pound, real estate appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the interweb at campbell-pound.com today. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find a perfect fit at kintech.net. Two the phone lines we go. Thomas Drance from the Athletic Vancouver and Canucks Talk right here on Sportsnet 650. What up, Drancer? Gentlemen, good morning. We've had a number of debates today. They do pertain to Roberto Luongo, but not about what you might think. We were actually asking earlier, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on it. Is Roberto Luongo the most interesting athlete to ever play in the city of Vancouver? Yeah, it's him or Burray, right? In terms Those, of debates, that's the list. The it starts drama. and ends. Yeah, that's where it starts and ends. And and two Hall of Fame players who were talked about incessantly. I mean, it, it's hard to fathom the debate between the two, in part because Luongo played in Vancouver just as like Twitter was launching and social media was becoming omnipresent, and and it feels like that changed how urgent how immediate all of the arguments and discussions that pertain to Luongo versus what pertain to Bure uh, sort of were, right? I mean, the difference is like Luongo gets pulled off the ice uh, before the trade deadline at that practice. And it's like 45 minutes where if you were, you know, a Canucks fan or someone who followed the team, like you were just refreshing Twitter and the updates were constant. Right. Um, Whereas if that had happened with Burray, it would have just been a, a line in an article in the newspaper the next day, right? I, I mean, a very different dynamic in terms of how you process the news, how immediate it was, how real, how big it felt in some ways. So to me, that's the biggest difference. Like, if you really think about it, given the way that Twitter became so, the way that our news consumption period became so immediate over the course of Luongo's career in Vancouver like it just you know it feels like the pressure around athletes was new and amped up at right like right at the moment that he was playing his biggest games and and for that reason alone I'd sort of put Luongo in the driver's seat you know not not necessarily because of like the level of interest um, in the person but because of how we all experienced it if that makes sense what's your favorite memory of the guy do you have one? Could be in, were you, 
Were you with him in, in Florida? Yeah, all we the years together. mesh together with Luongo for me. Like, there's so much happened that I can't always keep track of it. Yeah, we worked together in Florida for my entire time down there. Um, my last season in Florida was his last season as a player. Um, you know, like I was in the room when he signed his retirement papers. Um, so yeah, no, I mean, I, I've spent a lot of time with Lou. Do I have a favorite story? I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's hard for me to sort of remember, um, you know, that side of it, Uh, you know, I, I, more than anything like here, you know what? I, I do have one. I can think of one, uh, that I've actually been thinking about a little bit this week. Um, I got a text message from Ben Brown, who was, you know, a former Canucks PR guy um, and my counterpart, I suppose, when uh, when I was with, with the Panthers. And it was like the day of the Canucks playing the Panthers in Vancouver. And uh, effectively, there was a fan who was like a huge Roberto Luongo fan and they had a terminal illness. And I, I wish I could remember their name, but I, I can't off the top of my head. And they'd got a suite for like a last sort of big family party. And, you know, I I got the note was like with an apology, like, hey, look, we wouldn't usually ask, but this is pretty extraordinary circumstances. And, um, you know, they were wondering if uh, if they could meet Lou afterwards. And um, I I just sort of go up to Lou and I'm like, look, after the game, this situation, would, would you be open to this? And he's like, yeah, obviously, of course. And I just remember... You know, he, he sort of finishes, he does media, like talks to Kevin Woodley, um, <laughs> you know, gets ready. We get ready to go. And, and when the Panthers played in Florida, you're often not flying back east, right? The time zones sort of make that cumbersome. You're often staying overnight unless mm-hmm. you're going to Seattle or, or California or Vegas. And that night we were staying, there was no rush to leave the rink. And I just remember Lou spending like 25 minutes, like, <laughs> with this fan, you know, and like tears hugging, like it was just an unbelievable moment. Um, and just the amount of time he spent on it, you know, the amount of like the, 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 the amount of real connection there and how it was not even a second thought to do it. Um, that's just something that always stuck out to me. You know, you'll hear a lot about some of Lou's quieter, like behind the scenes community service, I'm sure over the course, but it's just stuff like that. Like, it's just, what what makes what made Lou special was you know he's so cool in terms of being just one of the best goalies of all time, um, you know driving a G wagon having a certain aura about him but his ability to connect to people um, that's something that always struck me about Lou and that I think made him special as a person. Let's talk about this game today, Drancer, uh, because after all the festivities are over the Canucks have got to play a pretty good team in the Florida Panthers and a very different team than the one they beat earlier in the season uh Ekblad and Montour are back I don't know if was Reinhardt uh in the or who was hurt yeah, uh, sorry was. Bennett was hurt Bennett was hurt Bennett was hurt Bennett was hurt so it's a, it's a different team now facing the Vancouver Canucks uh, but what have you seen from the Canucks over their last three games uh since that 6-5 loss to New Jersey uh, which looked a little bit like last season, and that was Rick Tockett's words, not only Rick, not only mine, but also Rick Tockett's. They had the shutout over Minnesota, they beat Carolina 4-3, and they just beat Tampa Bay 4-1. Yeah, and you know, I would really separate the Carolina game and the, um, the Tampa Bay Lightning game from the Minnesota game even. I mean, they, they shut out the Wild, but I, you know, I, the Wild, like at least their top line was able to pretty regularly... Uh, generate zone time 
um, some scoring chances. Like I felt like that was more of a goaltender shutout than a team level shutout. Obviously it's always a team level shutout, but that, that to me is, was distinct from what we saw the last two, which I thought were Vancouver's best pair of back-to-back performances this season with the possible exception of what they did to the Nashville predators in Nashville. And then they came back and I, I don't know if you guys remember this, but they just demolished the blues like five, nothing. Right. Yeah. And there was, yeah. you know, the shot clock was like 12, nothing. It was just not even close. Um, to me, this those last two games were on that level, especially with how the Vancouver Canucks controlled play. Like, you know, I mean, the JT Miller line like absolutely won their matchup territorially on the shot clock, on the scoreboard against the Kucherov line. Um, they did a really good job against Aho the night before. Like Vancouver's top six for a lot of this season hasn't been like regularly generating those heavy shifts. They haven't been out shooting their opponents enough. In my opinion, anyway, in terms of like, if our standard is this is a team that has a chance to be a contender, they haven't been at that level in terms of what it looks like territorially. They were the last two games, um, you know, and and that to me is sort of why I'd separate them. I I, I think those two games have been a really good sign, like a a really significant return to form from a team that, you know, I, I mean, they've had some regression, like they haven't been outscoring what you'd expect of them. Um, you know, dating back a month and a half, basically, but they haven't had bad luck either. Like their goaltending's regressed, but it's kind of been covered up um, in part by their by their shooting good fortune continuing. But if they play like that, they're going to win a lot of games. Like they're going to win a lot of games, even if the even if the bad luck hits, which inevitably it will for a stretch over 82 games. So to me, those were really impressive outings, um, and and they were really impressive outings in part because Vancouver's top six really controlled play, which you know, sort of shines a light on tonight's game. You know, Matthew Kachuk's having a bit of a slow season, but we know who Matthew Kachuk is and what he can do with the playmaking down low, with the agitation, um, you know, with the down low finishing. But but Barkov for me, like the Barkov-JT Miller matchup tonight, um, you know, those are two very large gentlemen uh, with incredible skill level. And Barkov has been picking his teeth with everybody who's come up against him. Like, I think the on-ice goal differential is something like 23 to 5, 25 to 5. Like, I need to look at it um, to confirm that. But the, the numbers are just completely outrageous. Barkov is at the absolute apex of his powers at the moment, it seems. And so, you know, that to me is a really big test tonight and just like a matchup that I'm really looking forward to tracking closely this evening. Um, where do you think things are going to go with Kuzmenko? You know, so, I, I mean, I, I still think Kuzmenko's like a game-breaker. I still think we're going to get a stretch of games where Kuzmenko's absolutely banging down the door and winning games for this team. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to be shocked at all if we're talking 20 games from now and Kuzmenko's had a stretch of, you know, 10 where he's got 14 points or something outrageous, right? I mean, that's the sort of skill level that I think he has. That's the sort of game-breaking ability that I think he has. Um, you know, where... So so I, I honestly just think that this is one that has a chance to blow over anyway. Um, uh, I, I, if that's going to happen, though, I do think he's going to need to reestablish himself as Patterson's running mate, right? Like, to me, that's sort of the story here is, you know, he, he for now, he's still on the power play. He's kept that job. But opportunity is such a big part of the equation when you're looking at winger production, right? I mean, 
you you look at if you if you staple Brock Besser to JT Miller as opposed to Sheldon Grise and give him a ton of minutes with power play one, you know, and that's not the only thing that's going on for Besser in terms of the goal scoring explosion, but it's a big difference. Like it's a big difference over last season. You know, last year Kuzmenko played like 180 minutes away from Pedersen, right? Mm-hmm. Like they were just locked in together at five on five. Plus, he was power play one. You know, you 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 lose that opportunity with a, a high end offensive driver, and it, and it changes what you can be expected to produce as a winger. Um, you know, I, I think this is something that we really struggle to grapple with when like a Besser being in the bottom six for large stretches of last season and off PP one. And what that does to their production, like we struggle to grapple with it and understand the impact it has on the players' individual scoring. We're also struggling to understand it um, with uh, like Connor Garland this season, right? Like Connor Garland's not playing with one of Vancouver's, you know, higher end playmakers in the top six, playing with a pair of guys who've never hit 30 points in a year, and the production's going to look really different. Um, I think the same thing is going to be true for Kuzmenko. Like if, if our expectation is something like a 60 point scoring rate, a 30 goal scoring rate, a 25 goal scoring rate, I think was what Jim Rutherford suggested uh, this week during his media blitz, right? If, if he's going to hit that, I, I do think he's going to need significant time with one of Vancouver's best centermen. And if he doesn't get it, I don't think we're going to see that level of production, even if he continues to, you know, fill the net on the power play a bit. So, you know, for me, it's all kind of tied up in opportunity, and that's where the Tocket factor and Kuzmenko's ability to earn trust and build that rapport um, with Vancouver's head coach, which obviously hasn't happened at this point, um, you know, is sort of going to dictate exactly where this goes. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to come on your show and suggest that, like, oh, the Kuzmenko era is over in Vancouver or anything right. like that. Um, I think if he gets back to getting those opportunities, he's still going to be enormously productive. I just wonder what his market value is. You know, it's, it's always hard to peg market value, especially we're still in a flat cap environment. But this is a guy that scored 39 goals last season. And the way I look at it is if he's not going to gain the trust of Rick Tockett, and it seems like Tockett is getting fed up with it. I know he was complimentary of Kuzmenko recently, but and I don't know how much longer Tockett is is willing to keep, you know, banging his head against the wall on 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 certain things, but you know, if I just I just wonder if there's a hockey trade to be made out there where you bring in a type of player um that is more of a Tockett type and you have him playing in the top 6 hopefully and you get to send a guy like Kuzmenko, who is a marketable player, certainly to a, to another team. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you know, I, maybe we see it, but those are so hard to do. Like, first of all, yeah, you know, know, everyone sees the ice time, right? And and it's not new. Like, he's taking line rushes on the fourth line, so it's become a larger talking point. But and he's spending less time with Pedersen, which makes it more of a talking point too. But even earlier in the season, Kuzmenko was playing fourth line minutes. Like you, you went and looked at Vancouver, even Vancouver's even strength ice time, even when everything was like snow day territory for this team, like late in games, when the Canucks had um, a lead, like Beauvillier was often filling in, in that role, right? Like the, his, his minutes were still low. He was still playing fourth line ice time, five on five, even if he was taking line rushes, you know, on the, on the right wing of the top line. So, um, you know, that's like a, a guy who's playing that amount. That's a, that's a red flag for teams, right? Teams know 
who's being used heavily, who a team's relying on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that hasn't been Kuzmenko this season. Then there's the 5.5 to consider, flat cap factors that you mentioned. Then there's the term. Um, maybe that's not quite the death knell to a player's trade value as it has been in years past, given that we do expect some growth uh, under the upper limit this summer, but it's still a complicating factor. And, and then there's, you know, I mean, this is a guy who has, doesn't have an NHL career playoff game. So, you know, I, I, would he be valued as a 39 goal scorer or would he be valued as a expensive winger with term who's playing fourth line minutes, um, you know, and, and, and is sort of one dimensional in terms of their profile, right? Mm-hmm. I, I would suspect more of the latter. And, and if that's the case, you know, the idea of trading a player like that for a defenseman, right, or, or like something you'd need more um, in your mind's eye when you think about what this team needs, you know, those, that, that becomes a really tough trick to pull off. There, there's not a lot of winger for defenseman type trades or, um, you know, offensive winger for greedy winger type trades without another team paying a significant premium. So, uh, look, it's a complicated one. And, and I do think that realistically the club's best option is to give it a little bit more time uh, to get it to get it to sort of fit together again and, and to let Kuzmenko work his way back up to the sorts of opportunities, the plum opportunities, um, you know, that he was able to capitalize off so significantly and so efficiently last season. While at the same time, just keep your options open and keep answering the phone because you never know. <laughs> right. Drancer, this was great, man. As always, thanks for doing it. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight. It should be good. We'll do this again next week. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Cheers, boys. Bye. Thanks. That's Thomas Drance from the Athletic Vancouver and Canucks Talk here on the Halford and Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. What did Dolly call him yesterday? Uh, Poopa. Poopa. <laughs> Poopa. <laughs> Poopa. Anyway, uh, I did want to do a What We Learned. I wanted to do just a quick uh, Champions League update. Because I think there's a lot of stories that are of interest just to Jason. I don't care about the listeners. Um, Barely even me. Well, Newcastle getting bounced. It's a big thing right now. So one, United and Newcastle dropped from the competition yesterday. Now... They're out of Europe entirely because they finished dead last in their respective groups. Mm-hmm. Finish third, you get to go to that consolation prize, the, the NIT, Europa, the Europa League. Right. They don't even get to do that. Um, two really different stories playing out here. United, they really should have got. I know that they're in turmoil, and I know that they're not having a good campaign. But to not get out of a group that had all due respect to Galatasaray and Copenhagen, who mm-hmm. hasn't been to the round of 16. Newcastle had a tough group. Newcastle had a tough group. Yeah. They hadn't been to Europe in, what, 15 years. Mm-hmm. So this was a big challenge for them. It didn't go great. They had injury problems. There were some squad selection issues. But now, the Premier League, if you go to the last three Champions League finals, six teams played in those Champions League finals, obviously, right? Yeah. Four of them were from the Premier League. So they had a dominant run Mm -hmm. in the Champions League. Right now, all that's left in this tournament is City and Arsenal. Mm -hmm. That's it. But both those teams could win it, in theory. Anyone could win it. Yeah. Right? Copenhagen could win it, theoretically. But I guess the bigger no, issue I mean, here is... You, you put City in a different class as Copenhagen. So the uh, the only reason I really wanted to bring it up is that the other news from the Champions League is that it's expanding to 36 teams now, moving okay. forward. That was the big news from the Champions League this week, is they're going to mm-hmm. make it even bigger. Who uh, are the Canadians left in the Champions League? Davies, because yeah. Byron went through. Yeah. Alistair Johnson and Celtic, <laughs> yeah. they're out. Uh, Eustachio and Porto in, mm-hmm. and... 
That's it, I think. Um, I don't know what's going on in the with the Belgians. Um, I'd have to double check. Sorry, okay. but anyway, um, we may you know it, England in the Premier League's run reign of terror over the Champions League because there's some weird coefficient now where their extra bids might go to the domestic leagues that do very well in Europe. Mm-hmm. United and Newcastle crashing out as badly as they did could actually affect them moving forward. Because if you look at this table right now, United and Newcastle. Unless things improve, they're not going to get back into Champions League football next year because they're sixth and seventh, respectively. Yeah. So we could see a real changing of the guard moving forward, where no United, who's you know always been in Champions League, and now it's more of a reputation thing than anything else. They're not mm-hmm. really expected to win it, and it would be kind of sad because I really like what Newcastle's done on the pitch. If they only got this one and done shot, and then they didn't. But make they it, so. but they've got years. No one expected them to be this good this early, right? right this just, wasn't the, the, like, they've got, they got the piff behind them. They're going to be just fine long-term. I wonder about Manchester United. Well, teams can spend and not spend wisely, like yep. Manchester United. Um, I think the thing was, is they thought, that, you know, that the finish last year that they had and the way that they played was great. So it's a, look, put it this way. When you go and you get a taste of what the glamour and the glitz of the European nights, mm-hmm. you know, club football at the highest level, you get a taste for it. You, sure. want, you want to go back sure. right away. You don't want to be out of the Champions League. So we'll see what happens there. Anyway, Mukel, all that. So we should do a quick reset here, unless you have a what we learned you want to do. Nope. Okay, so coming up, the man of the day, the man of the night, the man of the hour, Roberto Luongo. He's going to join us on Sportsnet 650. Uh, you're going to want to stay tuned for that. Don't touch your radio. Don't go to an alternate live stream. Don't listen to a different podcast. Just keep it right here, Sportsnet 650. However you listen to the show, Roberto Luongo is coming up next. We will also give away a pair of tickets to see WWE's Friday Night SmackDown. It's frightful. On January 5th <laughs> from Rogers Arena. Ooh, Friday night. Um, best What We Learned is going to get the tickets. If you want them, hashtag WWL. Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Tell us what you learned over the last 24 hours in sports. Make it good and put a ticket emoji into the text. Okay, everyone got it? Roberto Luongo is coming up next. We're going to leave plenty of time to talk to Bobby Lou. Uh, prior to him meeting with the collective media this morning at 10 o'clock. And then going into the Ring of Honor tonight ahead of the Panthers and Canucks game at 7 o'clock. Yeah, we'll warm them up for the media. That's right. Yeah. You're listening to the Halford & Breff Show on Sportsnet 650. Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans. The People's Show with Vic Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Steve Sullivan on a breakaway. Stopped by Luongo. The check goes to the front of the net. Twisting and turning. McDonald's Knocked down a pass, takes the shot, change up just missed. Simmons after the puck. Smith shoots, great save, Longo! 8.30 on a Thursday. You got the Ryan Smith save in there. Good, that was a good one. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today we are in hour three of the program. Roberto Luongo is going to join us in just a moment here. Hour three is brought to you by Campbell and Pound, a real estate appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. To the phone lines we go. Doesn't really need an introduction. 
I was going to come up with something big and flowery. It's Roberto Luongo. He is here now on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Roberto. How are you? Good morning, guys. How's it going? Uh, we are well. One, thank you for taking the time to do this today. I know it's a busy day for you. Congrats on what's to follow. Uh, speaking of what's to follow, you will be entered into the Ring of Honor tonight at Rogers Arena. Roberto, what does tonight mean for you? Uh, it's an unbelievable honor. I think uh, this past week, just looking at all the videos and messages and all that kind of stuff really uh, brought me down memory lane. Uh, it's been emotional. Uh, I'm really excited for tonight. And uh, just to get to live uh, all those moments with everybody here. And um, just looking forward to a great evening. This might uh, this question might require you to, to brag a bit, but when a kid <laughs> comes to Rogers Arena and looks up at your name in the Ring of Honor, and the kid asks his mom or dad about Roberto Luongo, what do you like that answer to be? Uh, just the guy that went out there every night, played hard, and uh, competed, and uh, loved the game of hockey. I think, uh, um, you know, it was, it was in my blood since I was a little kid, and every time I went on the ice, I wanted to be the best at it. And uh, that, that's where the, f- the fire came from for me. What do you think gave you your competitiveness? Because I read IMAC's uh, article on you and uh, all your former teammates were just talking about how ultra-competitive you were, both obviously in the games, but at practice and even playing cards on the plane. Well, I mean, I think there's a few factors. I think it starts from my childhood. You know, I had two younger brothers, so we were three boys in the house, always uh, playing and playing hockey, playing games, whatever it was. You know, we always wanted to beat each other up. Not physically, but in those games. But uh, um, I guess that's where it kind of stopped. You know, my, both my parents kind of played sports a little bit. Uh, you know, nothing professional, but uh, it was it was in their nature. So uh, just growing up uh, for me, it was uh, it was all about uh, you know being the best at what I did. And whether it was against my brothers, my neighbors, my friends, it didn't matter. I always wanted to be the best. How do you get your competitive fix now? I just do go after my kids, so it's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Roberto, does your time in Vancouver ever seem like a blur? Like so much happened, you can't really keep track of all of it all, and you're like, wait, what year was that that happened? And it just like it was just a constant. I mean, for us in the media, you might call it a soap opera, but you lived yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, it's weird. I feel like you know, obviously, I really remember my first year really well. And then I guess from my second year on to uh, about the Olympics, the Winter uh, Vancouver Olympics, that those those years are kind of a blur. I feel like they all kind of blend in together. And then afterwards, I mean, every year was kind of uh, unique on its own. So uh, you know, I, I'd say the middle part of it was kind of a little bit of a of a blur. But uh, afterwards, a lot of a lot of stuff happened, and uh, I mean, I can remember you know vividly most of those memories. Do you think you changed as a person during your time as a Canuck, or was that a false perception that maybe we held from the outside? No, that's a thousand percent right. Um, changed a lot. I think uh, just coming in uh, from, uh, you know, just 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 being a reserved guy, uh, growing up as a kid, and, and playing in Florida for a few years, and then you know arriving here, I, I don't think I was quite ready for 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 it, to be honest with you. And it took a while. It took a while for me to understand a lot of things. Um, and I think, you know, by the time I left, I was a different person and a better person. Uh, so I'm really grateful for that, you know, even though uh, it wasn't always, you know, easy for me. Uh, but I think I learned a lot. I grew a lot as a person. I think that's the, one of the most important things that uh, 
that I'll remember from my time here is, is the person that I am today. I wouldn't be that person without I've been here all those years. It is funny, though, how perceptions are because uh, I remember um, I went down to Phoenix for a family vacation and you guys were playing the Coyotes and I got a press pass and I was like, I'm getting away from my family. I'm going to go watch some hockey for a bit. And uh, I think you guys ended up winning the game in shootout and you played really well. And this was still at a time where maybe the perception was you were a little guarded with the media. And I remember um, I was down in near the Canucks dressing room and I saw you run through wearing your towel singing an Elton John song. And I was like, you know what? That, uh, that doesn't really mesh with like the reputation that Roberto Luongo has as a guy that, you know, is a serious guy, maybe takes himself too seriously. I don't know what the song was. It might've been like Benny and the Jets. I, I can't remember exactly, but I remember I saw that and I was like, yeah, he's actually a really fun guy behind the scenes. Um, yeah. Did did you? I mean, you just kind of said that you did change as a person, but I'm just wondering, was it the social media account that helped you bring that side of you to show you show that to the fans? Uh, part of it was, I think, you know, uh, that really helped a lot. Uh, it was a release for me, I think, just to show who I really was, and and, and it kind of people started seeing that more. But at the same time, I think I grew from some of the challenges I've you know, experienced over the last, the, the, that year or so before. So when you mix them both together, I kind of, um, you know, just changed my view on, on, on a lot of things. And, um, you know, when, when I first got here and uh, I had a tough time with the media, you know, I, I had t- trouble handling criticism. Um, you know, that was something that I wasn't used to. And I was my, my biggest critic on myself. But then when I would, you know, hear it from other people for some reason it was not i would be very guarded about it so um uh, that was a mistake obviously on my part and, and then i grew and i learned and, and i think um in the last two or three years when i was here um i tried to, to develop more of an open relationship with me uh, just trying to be a bit more cordial and uh not be so defensive all the time and i think it you know it helped with, with the whole with the whole thing we are speaking to Roberto Luongo, Hockey Hall of Fame goalie here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, we've mentioned a couple times all the things that happened during your tenure in Vancouver. And there was the two years where you were the team's captain. You had the C on your mask. So you were the captain, you accepted the role, and then you stepped down from the role. My question was always, are you happy that that experience happened no matter how it went? Or did you wish that that had never happened? It's it's one of the things I'm most proud of, to be honest with you, uh, because uh, when not not anybody can say they've done that, right? Like, who? What other goalie can say they were captain of their team? So, right. uh, for me, I use I wear that as a badge of honor. Um, you can you know you can talk about how it went and all that kind of stuff, but I took a lot of pride in it. Um, I really I really enjoyed those two years, and 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 I think it's. It's not so much as I was uh, stepping down from the captaincy. I think you know we had a, we had a meeting at the beginning of the year and, and, and we discussed you know with, with Mike Gillis and LA and what was the best thing moving forward. And at that point, Hank had come into his own, and I think it was it was just the right move and it felt right. So it wasn't uh, um, anything like so tragic. Uh, I, I think I did my two years. It was great, uh, but uh, it comes to the point where we wanted to focus more on you know being a goalie and, and trying to win a cup than than all that other stuff that surrounded being a captain in my position. So. Um, I loved it. Uh, I wore like a badge of honor. I'm, I was going to reference it tonight in my speech. Um, 
Nice. I think it's amazing. it was amazing for two years. Well, now I got to ask you, what was the best part about being a captain? Was it the fact that it was just so unique? You were the only goalie doing it. Yeah, that's that's what I loved about it. Yeah. You know, nobody can say that I, that they did what I did. You know, that's that's pretty rare. You know, like uh, so, um, you were the guy. I was the guy. Uh, you know, for um, everything, pretty much. You know, whether it's on the ice, off the ice. Uh, people went to me for for things, and you know that's a big responsibility. And and you know I take pride in, in things like that. When you look back on your time, and I'm sure you've been doing some reminiscing about your time in Vancouver, do you think about the big games you played in, and, or is it more the the day to day time that you had with your teammates? Because you you played with some pretty fun personalities yeah. as well. I mean, I think about it all. To be honest with you, it depends on which which time of day you get me at. I mean. Uh, the, the, that's what's great about Twitter too. You know, like people send you stuff and then you, you look at them and you're like, Oh my God. And then you reminisce and it brings you back. And it, it, it's amazing, you know, and, um, <clears throat> great teammates. We had so much fun in that dressing room, you know, guys teasing each other, making fun, like battling it out on the ping pong table. It was, it was amazing. And then, um, you know, obviously all, all the stuff that happened on the ice as well. It was so many memories and, and, um, you know, it's it was eight years, but it went by so fast, and now we kind of miss it. You know, what was it like being you before some of those big games? Like, what what what, what were you thinking about? And I I always wondered about that. Like, the responsibility, for example, of being the goalie in an Olympic gold medal game, or the goalie <laughs> in like it's just like it it's just it you know uh, uh, say for the it just it would just be a lot. I imagine. Yeah. No, I was. I mean, uh, thank God. That, I always say thank God that gold medal game was at noon. So I just woke up and came to the rink and played it. I had to sit on it the whole day. You know, because that was a stressful one. But uh, for the most part, you know, you try to block that stuff out. You know, you just try to focus on, like, what makes me successful as a goalie. Like, what do I do when I play well? What are the things that I do on the ice? And I try to go through those things over my mind over and over again. And that, you know, just narrows the focus on what I need to do on the ice as opposed to, all the other stuff, like, oh, my God, like, I'm going to let a whole country down if I don't, you know, if we don't win. That's, that's the kind of stuff you don't want to be thinking about because then it just gets overwhelming and takes away from your focus. So, you know, I, I went through a lot of, uh, um, not training, but a lot of, you know, uh, classes and, and talked to a lot of people about how to, you know, uh, deal with those kinds of things. And, and I think um, in those moments, it's important to, you know, to keep your focus on, you know, what's ahead and not think about all the other stuff that can really, you know, detract you from, from performing. Uh, we're speaking to Roberto Luongo here on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Roberto, we were talking about earlier your origin story. When you do a career retrospective like what tonight will be, you always go back to the very beginning. So the early days of your NHL career, we made note of the fact that you had to deal with two of the more um, I am <laughs> colorful executives in NHL history and Mike Milbury <laughs> and then Mike yep. Keenan. How did yep. that, how did dealing with those two personalities kind of shape and formulate how the rest of your career would go? Um, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's like a big puzzle, right? And they were just, just part of it. Um, you know, I, these are these are things that that you learn from, you grow from, and I and I think you know, obviously, I was 20 years old when I, when I played uh, for Mike Milbury, but uh, um, you know, that was a, that was a shocking trade uh, after one year to, to 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 be shipped off to Florida. Uh, but you know, uh, they were trying to do their job, and, and at the time, obviously, it was it was it was upsetting. But uh, you know, when you look back and 
you know, everybody's, everybody's got their, their own ways of doing things. And, 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 you know, it all worked out for the best. I mean, I wouldn't be here today if all of those things didn't happen to me at the early on in my career either. So, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't hold any ill will towards anybody. Uh, Roberto, we want to thank you for taking the time to do this today, man. This was great. It's a terrific honor for you. We're very happy that you get to do it. Enjoy everything today. I know you got a lot of media responsibilities, yeah. so enjoy everything other than that. And uh, yep. <laughs> enjoy tonight. I hope the speech goes well. I hope the ceremony goes well. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Looking yeah, th- forward to it. Thank you. That's Roberto Luongo, Hockey Hall of Fame goalie, Ring of Honor inductee tonight on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Yeah, I always just wonder what it was like to be Roberto Luongo in the city during that time. Exciting, but then if you'd asked me, like, would you want to be him? I'd be like, no, I'm, I'm just going to watch. Thanks very much. And that's what the pro athletes have to take on their shoulders. That's what these, especially uh, at a position like a goalie, that's the responsibility that you have to accept. And sometimes it ends with glory, and sometimes it ends with the opposite of glory. Uh, I thought the bit about the captaincy was really interesting because I had always wondered if. He considered that a good thing, a bad thing, or maybe it wasn't that black and white and that polarizing. Mm-hmm. Right? Because I think we look back on it and just, and part of this maybe how the Halford and Bruff touch, the negativity of it is that it was a distraction and you goalie can't be a captain in the National Hockey I League. I think their problem at the time was that they looked around and they didn't see anyone else that was ready for the role. And they asked themselves, who is the leader of our team right now? And the answer was Roberto Luongo. That's a good point. because So that's the decision they made. And maybe looking back, it it was the right decision to have it for a couple of years. But he he considers it a a key part of his career. I wouldn't have thought that. I would have thought because mm-hmm. it was short. It was only two years. He played almost like 15, 16 in the NHL. Like the fact that that. Maybe it was just the necessary step that they had to take before well, they named Henrik captain. It's funny because back in the day, you nobody went without a captain. It's more commonplace now. The youths and these, these children out here see you know, a third of the league going without a captain. You couldn't do that back in the day. You were a rudderless ship if you didn't have somebody wearing the mm-hmm. seat. Everybody had a captain. If you didn't, it was a big problem. So I do wonder if it was a sort of, well, we have the next guy might be, but we're not ready to give it to him yet. So in the interim, why not try the goalie? He's our best player. I think sometimes people forget just how much those Vancouver Canucks teams, when Luongo came, it was all about Luongo. Like, I can't even imagine the conversations we'd be having about, you know, the analytics of the Canucks in that first year if, the, if we were, you know, talking analytics back in 2007. Luongo was the team. Mm-hmm. Like, he had to be really good. He was the reason that they made the playoffs that year, uh-huh. right? He was the guy. So and, t- then, and then it was on the management to improve the team. And, you know, say what you will about Mike Gillis's time, like, he improved the team. He mm-hmm. made upgrades to the team. He brought in guys like, you know, Michael Samuelson and Christian Erhoff and and Dan Hamhus. He made he made the team better. And that was the challenge because before then it was like, yeah, we're Luongo basically. That's the strength of our team. So a Tanbeer question and a good one, very appropriate given the conversation that we're having. Tanbeer wants to know how come we don't put the same amount of pressure on Demko? That we did on Luongo is the goalie, the Vancouver Canucks. I feel we protect him a lot more when he plays bad. Tanbeer, I think the Roberto Luongo experience in Vancouver, if nothing else, might be a learning slash cautionary tale for everybody involved. 
that's kind of the point of the whole thing. When we look back on Luongo's tenure in Vancouver, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned. He talked about how much he learned and how much he changed based on his experiences in Vancouver. I don't think that the way that the entire saga played out is a rosy, colorful story at the end of it. It's complex and it's convoluted and it's not great, but there's learning lessons Mm -hmm. along the way. Maybe putting the insane amount of pressure that you put on one individual in a high-pressure position isn't the way to go about it. Maybe you should insulate your goalies more. Also, and I've talked about this a couple times today, Luongo came in as the solution to a goalie graveyard. He was going to change the narrative and change Mm -hmm. the course of a a franchise in a city where all the goalies had bad times. Remember when Bruce Gallo was going to do that in Philadelphia? Right. How did that work out? Here's the interesting thing. What has been one of the hallmarks of Vancouver Canucks goaltending since Luongo? It's been really, really good. We, you talk about this all the time. We've been very lucky in Vancouver. From Luongo, yeah. sure, whatever the case, but from Luongo to Markstrom to Miller to whomever else, and now to Demko, we've had really good goaltending in this city mm-hmm. to the point where people don't remember the youths. Don't remember the fact that this play used to be bad goalie after bad goalie after bad goalie. Think of a place like Edmonton. Right? So I think that there's a lot that's changed. And I think that there's a lot that you can apply to the way that Luongo handled himself. And quite frankly, the way that we handled Luongo. Got to be a better way to say that. Um, But you learn from those things. And you, as an organization, and I think we've also... As, as a society and as a league have changed perceptions a lot about goaltending, right? Like yeah. it's no longer the man and the guy. It's about keeping him fresh for the playoffs and having a good tandem and, you know, working on a lot of different things that quite frankly weren't at the forefront of the conversation when Luongo was starring for the Canucks. Uh, so what do you expect his speech to be like tonight? Well, apparently he's going to reference the captaincy. Mm. So there's a thing. Super you, dry, no humor. Yeah. Do you, how much humor do you think he's going to bring into it? Quite a bit, right? Some, Gotta be. Yeah, he'll joke about Daniel again, we Henrik have, and this and Biaxa and everything else. But again, uh, do you think there's going to be any reference, even if it's the most subtle reference, to him going into the Ring of Honor and not having his number retired? So I did. You uh, said no before. I did a segment with City News yesterday because mm-hmm. this is one of those things you always know it's an important Canuck story when the normies decide that they want four minutes of content, and they were asking about that particular facet of the whole dynamic like yeah. do you think someone's going to reference that he's not getting his jersey retired tomorrow well do you think you know, i mean i think the media is going to reference it when he has his uh um he has uh, an availability coming up someone in, will want to do it someone right? will want to do it look yeah. we made a someone co- will ask the question he'll probably throw a reference to kirk mcclain and how they both wore one i, I feel like there'd be something and look if you, you want to slam our from. interview style for not asking that question go ahead i could care less but do it right text in 650 650 whatever that it, my my thoughts on this are pretty clear. I don't really have much gray area on this. Um, he deserves a, a, an honor, not the ring of honor, but an honor. And they're honoring his career tonight. It's unfortunate that the sort of like unintended circumstances of having two levels yeah. of honor, and he gets caught in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Luongo was a great Canuck, and he had a great career, and the franchise did a nice thing by trying to create the ring of honor. Yeah, this we, just happened. We wanted to ask him what tonight means to him, and he said tonight means a lot to him. Right. So I don't so, need I don't need to, you know, and it's his night. Yeah, it's his night. I don't night. really want to sell you it, and I could care less if you think that we're asking softball questions, right? Bite me. I don't care. 
The point being is that this was supposed to be about the guy and what he's done and what he's accomplished and what he mean to the city and what the city and the market mean to him. The only thing that was interesting when he said, like, I 1,000% changed as a person. As I, like, that was him during his time in Vancouver, and he's admitting it. So this isn't some false narrative that we're throwing out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to put it in a brief, um, like, he got humbled. He got humbled. Yeah, he by, said he wasn't ready for it. He got humbled by life. He got humbled by expectations. And at first he admitted, like, he didn't know how to deal with that. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, you're a young player that's only played in, you know, the Islanders for a bit. And it takes Florida, a lot to admit that. Too. And then you come to Vancouver and you're all of a sudden supposed to be the star of the team. And you are, but you're not perfect. And you're still going to have some downtimes. Right, yep. those three straight Chicago series were all very tough on him. Mm-hmm. You know, the first two, you know, the first series was against Chicago. Was I think that was the first time we all we we we, we kind of lost our one hundred percent confidence in him. Right, it was like, whoa, wait a minute, these guys are really lighting him up. Yep, there was. And a then sense the second Chicago series, it happened again. And then the third, even though the Canucks won it at the end of the day, there was that vulnerability there. So he had to deal with that. And he was a very confident guy, or at least, you know, on the outside, he was very confident. He was like, I'm the best goalie in the world. But then you get lit up a few times, and then you have to face the music afterwards. That gets you humbled. And it's hard to deal with that because you actually have to accept, like, wow, like, maybe I didn't play my best, or maybe there are some things I can do do better. And how he learned to deal with that, I think, was really interesting. He stopped taking himself so seriously. Um, it's a hard pivot now to give away tickets to wrestling, but we got to do it because we're right up against it for time. A dog, you there? Do we have the winner of the WWE tickets? So we're giving away tickets every day this week, pair tickets to go see WWE's Friday night Smackdown on January 5th at Rogers arena. The winner is the winner is B Warren in Coquitlam. Uh, my son would love to go to fright night. Duh. People still plan up on that. I love it. Uh, dad is tapped out. Ticket emoji. Flex emoji. What I've learned is all the money I've saved up to buy an eight game pack for me and my son to catch some Canucks games this year was a great idea for father and son time. But what would really make his holiday season is if I brought him I bought him SmackDown tickets. I've learned I am broke and need the three greatest Vancouver sports broadcasters to help three me, three help bring joy to oh, my son oh. and myself. Three. Which, who's being left out? And let's just not assume it's one of the dogs because it could be Brock <laughs> Ride. Could be me. Yeah, it could be any one of us, right? Thank you to Mike, Laddie, and A Dog. <laughs> that is all. <laughs> no further thank yous required. Signed, B Warren. Okay, uh, we got to get out of here for today, but we will be back tomorrow. It's Ask Us Anything Friday tomorrow. We're giving away a $100 gift card to AJ's Pizza, and we'll also be talking about a game against the Florida Panthers. And of course, we'll be reviewing whatever Roberto Luongo says for his speech as he gets inducted into the ring of honor tonight for now though we got to say goodbye thank you all for listening thank you all for contributing uh, listen to us tomorrow signing off i have been mike alfred he's been just jason bruff he's been a dog and he's been laddie this has been the halford and bruff show on sportsnet 650